0: Welcome to the Nourish Wrap podcast, hosted by two passionate clinical nutritionists whose mission is to educate, inspire, and empower people to lead a more nourishing life. Katie and Jessica value evidence-based practice, holistic healing approaches, and practical health advice, all while having fun along the way. We thank you for tuning in and hope you enjoy the show.
1: Okay, welcome back everybody to another episode of The Nourish strap. This is our um, second episode that we're recording for 2019 and I'm here with Jess Channing Nutrition and Reuben.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, so today we're really lucky to be joined by um, a special guest. So we welcome um, Farmer Greggy Dennis to the show um, and um, Farmer Greg is the owner um, or yeah, the owner of Four Real Milk. So um, thanks so much for joining us, Greg. Um, how are you doing today?
2: Awesome. Hey, great to
1: be here, Katie. G'day, Jess. How are you going? Good. Um, So maybe um, before we dive into things, Greg, um, just uh, just giving our listeners a little bit of background today, we're really going to be focusing on eating local and connecting with your food um, through our interaction with you and our discussions with you on today's podcast, Greg. But before we dive into that, can you um, maybe give us a little bit of a background on yourself and also the company that you run as well?
2: sure it's look it's and it is great talking to you today katie because we first met when you did a tour of our farm and um and then i did a little bit of work with you and i've been on my own personal health journey happy to talk a bit about that later but you know we've um i guess it's a family farm my family have been milking cows on our property in the scenic rim just an hour south of brisbane now since 1935 and we uh, we have seen a lot of changes on our farm over the years and the most recent change, I guess, we, we've moved to a, a robotic milking system and while some people can be concerned about that being good for our cows, it's actually beneficial for the cow because it's a voluntary milking system. Mm-hmm. So our cows choose when to move around the farm and when to get milk voluntarily. Yep.
1: Yeah, cool, and yeah, and having done one of your tours, Greg, I can totally vouch for that. Like they just kind of wander up, hook in, um, yeah, and they look amazing.
0: Wow, that's so cool.
2: It, it is, you know, it's, it's great for their comfort. It's great for their overall health. Um, when you're as big as a dairy cow and they literally weigh 800 kilograms, the slower you can move, the better. You know, we, we don't want to rush our cows around and tell them where to go or when to go there, so they. So they're moving as they choose, and the uh, then a couple of years after we built the robotic dairy, we started doing farm tours, and we do now host around about five tours a week. So I've, I've personally hosted about 1,200
1: tours on our farm since 2012, Wow! And, and the
2: year after we started doing tours, we actually broke away from our big milk company and we've built a factory on site. So we are literally the only milk processing facility south of Brisbane in Queensland, and uh, and we bottle our own milk on site. We now distribute for Real Milk, which is the milk company I established in 2013, and and we now distribute our milk directly to 350 retail outlets, predominantly in southeast Queensland.
0: Awesome. That's great. Yeah. Can you um,
1: actually – just talking about how you broke away from a a larger milk company, Greg, um, what are the differences as far as, like, the product that you used to produce when I suppose you were a little bit more dictated by what they wanted versus what you're able to produce now?
2: Yeah, look, it is a fascinating topic because more and more people – are being subliminally brainwashed by a system that's tricking them into thinking they're eating food when they're, in fact, eating food-like substances. So, dairy is a great example of this, where it's not so much how the product was or how nutritionally dense it was when the farmer produced it. It's what happens to the milk when it leaves the farm and goes to the big milk company. You know, what is happening behind closed doors at our big food processing companies and we're not aware of a lot of the damage that happens. Um, you know I, I guess I, I talk to people on tours a lot these days and I want people to develop a, a level of skepticism about what is being done to their food because with with milk in our case in Australia the law says we have to pasteurize milk. That's not an option whether you're a big milk company or a little milk company, Yep. So for real milk is 100% pasteurized We don't have a choice And what pasteurization is Heating the milk to 72 degrees Holding it at temperature for 15 seconds Snap chilling it and putting it in a bottle yep. So when people come for the tour experience here on our robotic dairy They can see that milk coming from the cow into the glass jar It is then instantly chilled and bottled the next day It's very fresh milk and it's minimally damaged or minimally processed. Yep. When we started getting visitors to come for the tour experience fairly early in the piece, a few of our visitors were ex-factory workers from big milk companies. And they said to me, oh, you only heat your milk to 72 degrees. We, we used to heat it to 85 degrees. Yeah. And we, we used to hold it at temperature for not 15 seconds, but for like two or three minutes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we have minimum processing standards in place in theory to create a safe product. When you exceed those minimum standards for no reason whatsoever, you're doing more damage to the food. So there is a reason, of course, big food companies do more damage to food to add shelf life, Mm -hmm. which is neither good for the nutritional content of the food all good for our results and health when we eat that
1: stuff. Yeah. So,
2: so we're very consciously keeping our processing standards as low as we can to the legal requirement and not exceed. The other really big thing that we are finding now, thousands of people are telling us this personally, they're getting a health benefit from for real milk because we do not homogenise a single litre of milk that we bottle on site. So. Homogenization is not a requirement of law in Australia mm-hmm. and people my age and older I'm 49 now but if you were born in the 60s or 70s you were probably led to believe that homogenized milk just has the cream mixed through the milk and that's a mm-hmm. bit of a white lie if you want to mix cream through your milk you just have to shake the bottle yeah so homogenization is a process where we we literally mechanically destroy all of the uh, the content of the milk. So we are breaking down the molecules in the milk. The fat globules, the protein chains are completely smashed into tiny little sharp splinter-like fragments.
1: Yeah, which makes it a lot harder to digest, obviously. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so people have kind of again been tricked into, well, people have been told, oh, now this milk's easier to digest because it's been broken down for you. (laughs) the body actually knows how to digest food over many thousands of years of evolution Mm. and now we're introducing food to the body that the body does not recognize as true food yeah so once you damage or destroy real food just putting a label on a bottle or a package does not mean the body will know what it is and um so so i'm finding i've been doing a lot of research into this and about 95% of Aussies who have been told or diagnosed as lactose intolerant are in fact drinking for real milk, not getting sick. Yeah. So yeah. so lactose was never their problem. Mm. Their problem is that they're, they're drinking milk that's been destroyed and their body is not able to digest it properly. Yeah. It's triggering an autoimmune response in their body, basically.
1: And I think we can see that across different industries because a lot of people decide they've got a gluten issue or they're a celiac or something like that when what they're doing is eating bread that costs them a couple of bucks from the supermarket as opposed to having, you know, like something really good quality made over many, many hours the way we're supposed to in a balanced amount in the diet. Um, yes. instead of having, you know, two pieces of white bread toast for breakfast with a sandwich and, you know, a big plate of pasta for dinner. So it's definitely something we can relate to across industries for sure, Greg. Yeah, mm. and
2: yeah, I think France is a great example when you look at the people of France and what do they do? They eat a lot of fresh bread, but, but they get their bread for breakfast from the bakery and they get fresh bread again for lunch. You know, they eat a lot of cheese and butter, they drink red wine where are their obesity issues you know like they're they're eating fresh food they're eating real food Mm. and they're not facing the same sort of challenges a lot of other developed countries are around the world
0: yeah absolutely yeah it's really cool when you compare it to somewhere like that that has such pure still pure food sort of um sources and then we're eating the same products but they're just highly processed and then the outcome is just completely different in the health status it just it really highlights it
1: and i think you know jess and i can totally relate to that and sometimes you know you can't give people a reason beyond that's just not prepared the way it should be prepared try buying better dairy or try buying better bread Mm. and sometimes that's half of our job to be honest um because i prefer not to vilify food groups but actually eat foods the way they're supposed to be consumed
0: yeah that's right and i guess this is a good sort of segue into um food costs and things like that because what we are seeing is that there's this whole sort of i guess this whole sort of thing now is that people buy food for the price so i'll buy this milk because it's cheaper you know over choosing something like such a great product like yours and i guess it's really important for us to make awareness around um, the effects this is having on you. So what sort of challenges does this bring into you? Yeah, like, yeah. is
1: that is um, is is that a challenge in your world, Greg? Yeah. The fact that people, you know, even though they might say they want a good quality product, are they really wanting a good pro- quality product but actually buying based on the bottom line? Yeah. Like, what do you think?
2: Yeah, it's a good old saying, action speaks louder than words. Yeah. And you know, I think what we're seeing a lot in Australia over the last few years is this warm, fuzzy intention of the people to support the farmer while the way they spend money is killing the farmer. Yeah. like they, they are literally killing the dairy industry in Australia right now because they are not listening to a very loud and clear message and it doesn't seem to matter how much we put it out there through mainstream media and social media. You know, we 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 just had it all happen again only three four months ago, and all you know all the people were oh yes let's support the drought stricken farmer and the conversation went towards the the fact that we we must you know we must support the farmer and especially the dairy farmer hey the price war on milk is still happening that's hurting the farmer. I even you know I was fortunate to be interviewed by Koshi on Sunrise, and I was so confident in September. 2018 that we would see a boost to our milk sales because the message was getting out there and people would want to support quality food support local yet what actually happened the the sales of dollar milk you know the cheapest supermarket milk the sales actually went up yeah. on the back of all of that media because Coles and Woolies tricked people into believing that, hey, we're going to put 10 cents a litre on top of this milk and then we'll pass that back to the farmer. So if you want to help the farmer, buy the cheapest milk in our shop. Yeah. And people fell for that. The sales of the cheapest milk actually rose during the time when we needed people to support farmers at the right price. Yeah. I believe the right price for fresh milk in the supermarket today has to be $2 a litre, not $1 a litre. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we get a lot of resistance from people who keep saying that they're struggling financially, hey, we're broke, we've got to save money on our food. But there's been a you know, tremendous amount of work done on propaganda and brainwashing of the masses in Australia. You know, we are pre-programmed when we go to do our grocery shopping to look for the bargain, buy what's on special, save money because you're broke and that's all you can afford to do.
1: But I think no that's. on the
2: website of that, go yep. no and buy your $5 flat white. Yeah, when exactly. You $7 ice break with a Mars bar deal when you're filling up with petrol that fluctuates by 30 cents a litre depending which day of the week it is.
1: And also, don't forget your um, 24 cans of Coke as you leave the, leave the supermarket.
2: <laughs> so it's frightening, Katie, because just recently I've been out and about a lot. We've been doing a lot of in store tastings. Um, you know, we're fortunate now we're working with Woolies. We're in 25 Woolies stores and growing. We're in 120 IGA's. We're in a lot of food works and butchers, bakers, fruiterers, And while we're in these major retail outlets doing our tastings, the number of people that will buy the cheapest milk in shop and then also buy a slab of bottled water yeah. and... <clears throat> As, as you said, the soft drinks, you know, people will spend $30 a week on soft drink and $10 a week mm-hmm. on milk. Yeah. Well, if, you've, if you're worried about your budget, why are you not drinking water from the tap instead of bottled water or soft drink? Because water from the tap is not only free, it's probably a lot better for your health than soft drink.
1: Yeah, and then the flow on effect as well is those people are the ones that are, you know, struggling with obesity and chronic health conditions mm. and spending money at the doctor and, you know, it's a it's it's we don't look long term anymore. Mm. People look week to week, and you talked about going to the grocery store as a problem. Um sorry. And and the thing is going to the grocery store is the problem. I'm always trying to say to people look I know, you think I'm lucky, I don't have a child, I've just got my Mm. husband to look after. So, yeah, sure, I can go shop local. But at the end of the day, when I go to the markets, it's quarter to six on a Saturday morning, I'm there for half an hour, and I connect with the food I'm buying. Mm. I don't get that in Woolworths. And I think it's not only the choices we're making in the supermarket, but it's the supermarkets themselves because it's bright lights, it's hygienic,
0: Mm. it's food... F- yeah. sorry food looks good there yeah, yeah that's yeah
1: and the food is a commodity it's not something that gets valued anymore as nourishment so mm. that's where the you know that's the whole problem like we just see food as this commodity and Jess and I were talking about it before even people who aren't on a lower socioeconomic band, they'll spend $400 on a handbag or, you know, $800 on eyebrow tattooing. But, oh, my goodness, I couldn't spend, you know, $35 a kilo on really good quality seafood or, you know, buy milk that's $4.50 a carton. Like, it's just, we do a lot of very strange things, I Mm. think, these days. Our behaviours are very unusual in some ways
2: well i do think a lot of that comes back to propaganda so we're kind of we're being sold the solution you know we're being sold how we can get out of the problem that we're in and you know that's even even things like technology when you look at some of the costs that people spend on technology today that were not even Uh, an afterthought back in the 70s, 80s, 90s but everyone's got to have the biggest flat-screen TV and the upgrade to the next model iPhone or Samsung Galaxy when the last one worked perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. So we're a very disposable kind of a society. And the other thing that I think is, is... So it's a really interesting time because there's this growing awareness of a sector of the community and obviously you ladies work with people who want to make a difference and find a better way. And then I think that the more you look into where your food comes from and you choose nutrient-dense food that has not been destroyed, then all of a sudden your brain works at a higher level of function and then you keep making better decisions. If you just go along with the flow that propaganda is selling you, then you're eating whatever's cheap and literally nasty, which lowers your general level of physical and mental health, and then you continue to make poorer and poorer decisions. So this is like, uh, it's an endless loop that um, some people are going to struggle to break free of,
1: unfortunately. Yeah, and I think, like, um, if we look ahead, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, where are we going to be? Like, a kitchen will be a microwave. That will literally be the kitchen. And, you know, it will be such a battle to get hold of anything that's not you know, literally made in a chemical laboratory. As far as food's concerned,
0: okay. So Greg, and we are spoken all about going to be the, um, so messed
1: that, up and I guess, unhappy and mentally unstable and, and probably overweight and as a result. So you know, you definitely hit. But you know, what hit is the bar um, um, with the what you've just, just said, Greg?
2: And you directly to your to
1: daily life as a farmer, and what, that being your job and your income. That's really the message that Jess and I are trying to get across.
2: Yeah, Jess. I think what we've seen in in recent years is we've seen price fixing at retail level and milk has become uh, become used as a loss leader. Now, what that actually means is it's pulling people through the doors. People think they're getting a good deal, cheap milk, and the the losses incurred on that cheap milk are quite literally being passed back to the farmer. So we had not sold milk for a dollar a litre in Australia since 1992 and now we've had this price war being waged by all the major supermarkets since Australia Day 2011. So we will actually be having our eighth anniversary of the price war on milk in a couple of weeks time. And this is now the longest running price war on a single food item in Australian retail history. So so what that means to the farmer is that the farmer is getting paid 1990s milk prices Yet here we are in the year 2019 and all of our operating costs have gone up two, three, fourfold in some cases over the last two, three decades. Mm. So so we're seeing a situation now in recent industry figures from Queensland. Bear in mind, we have lost 40% of our dairy farmers in Queensland while the per capita consumption of milk continues to rise every year. But we've lost 40% of our dairy farmers in the last six years and in recent industry figures all dairy farmers in Queensland today are not able to reinvest in their farm they are in fact a lot of them defaulting on their monthly bills so the only way to truly get a fair amount of money back to the dairy farmer in Australia in the year 2019 is to pay them what it's worth for them to produce that milk you know we, we need to see $0.20 cents a litre getting back to the farmer compared to what they're currently getting paid today. The only way that can happen is to increase the average price of milk sold in supermarkets, and we're not seeing that, that kind of motivation coming from anywhere in the supply chain. We're not seeing the milk processors want to do that for the farmer. We're not seeing the retailers do, want to do that, and we certainly have a government that seems to absolutely not care about agriculture or the producers of food. Yeah. And for me, and you know, I'm incredibly frustrated because our government make all these decisions from Canberra and only 3% of Australia's population are farmers. But those 3% of farmers are growing enough food to feed 24 million Aussies and about another 70 million people overseas. So I would just like to question how well our politicians' brains would function if we were to turn off the food for two weeks into Canberra.
1: Yeah, yeah. And not just the
2: food. Let's switch off their beer, wine and spirits as well yeah. because farmers grow all of the stuff that makes our alcoholic beverages too.
1: So that, you know, do you think this kind of issue is well and truly across all farming divisions? So not just dairy but also, you know, vegetable growing in Australia, you know, or, um, you know yeah. fruit, that sort of thing?
2: Many yeah many different agricultural industries in Australia are struggling. Yeah. You know I've, I've heard way too many stories of the uh, fruit trees just being bulldozed and we're importing that fruit from other countries instead yeah. of paying a fair price for the locally produced fruit and veg. you know we're seeing more of it happen. Um, I think the dairy industry has potentially been impacted more than the others because of this price fixing. And I believe it's illegal price fixing, but of course nobody will come out and publicly say that. Um, How can you ever justify having a price on a fresh food item that has not fluctuated one cent in eight years?
1: Yeah, despite all the variables like the environment and
0: all that sort of thing, it doesn't make sense at all. Actually, yeah, I mean we mm. outside of
2: outside of general inflation CPI. There are thousands of variables around Australia that have an impact on the cost of production at farm level. Um, Yet here we are saying at retail level, and Aussies have been brainwashed into believing that this is okay because 65% of Aussies want to buy the dollar a litre milk today. 65% of Aussies are saying, we're okay with our dairy farmer going broke, And, hey, if our milk has to come from another country in the near future, then that's what we'll buy because at least it'll still be cheap.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Jess. Do you think the general population know that that's the extent of, um, I guess, the impact that they can have by choosing that cheaper milk? Like, do you think there's enough awareness around that?
2: I, I am getting frustrated now, Katie, I guess, for me, that they have no excuse not to know. Like, if they try and say they didn't know, they're lying, because there has been so much media around this issue now for the last five years that, I'm sorry, that's just not okay. You know, you can tell me you don't know that it's a problem, but you did know at some point over the last five years and you chose to disregard that information.
0: I guess um, why I ask that is because before you mentioned that... um, you know, um, with all that promotion of the drought-stricken farmers and things like that, they did that, um, was it 10 cents a litre to to support dairy farmers on the cheaper milk? So I guess, and as you were saying, that's a bit of, you know, false advertising or whatever, but I guess, I don't know, that's still tricking people into buying that milk and thinking they're doing the right thing. Like they think there's good intentions behind it, thinking they're doing the right thing. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I I just, I really question whether anybody whose brain is functioning at any sort of level could say, hey, milk being sold at the same price it was 27 years ago is okay. Yeah. Like, who who really thinks that way? I mean,
1: I think also, like, like, I think people are a bit, you know, I think every day you have to make a decision, don't you? Like... You have to make the decision that you're only one person in this world, but you've got to acknowledge that your actions are still going to have some kind of impact. So, you know, it's like that whole actions speak louder than words. We've got a lot of people these days who make a lot of noise, but at the end of the day, it's actually what you just do day to day. And people need to remember that they might only be one person. But if everybody said that, we'd be in a lot of trouble kind of thing. So, you know, it's like um, I know a lot of... That's a
2: really good point because when, you know, I believe strongly in people power and and that comes back to the power of one plus ripple effect, effectively. So every individual is really making no difference in the scheme of things until they become 100,000, 2,000,000, Twenty million individuals, you know, and then globally, the the flow-on effect of millions becoming billions will actually change things for the better. So, we, you know, we we've, we've got to consciously make those choices. And I think it's the same when we look at health. And we can we can. So people do feel defeated, don't they? Like I think generally, people might feel defeated; they can't make a difference, so they don't try real hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had my own bit of a health journey I said right at the start of the podcast that um, Katie you helped me with uh, I had severe hypertension yeah and you know I was only about 46 at the time I think when we started working together and the simple solution was take this tablet because that's what we've been led to believe will fix the problem yeah but I had some unhealthy habits and As an individual, I can just say, well, there's nothing I can do other than believe what the system tells me. Um, But I did a bit of homework. I cut back on my caffeine and my beer. I started eating real food. I didn't actually cut out on any fats or anything, but I did eat less bread and I didn't add sugar to anything. And I brought my 180 over 120 (laughs) blood pressure down to 119 over 75 by making conscious, healthy choices every day in the way I ate and drank. Yeah. And I did not take any kind of pharmaceutical medication, not a single tablet. Yeah,
1: Yeah, and, like, that's really, that's very much similar to the kind of message Jess and I were talking about last fortnight in our podcast. Food is such an awesomely comprehensive solution to so many problems in the world. And yet Real
2: food is medicine. Yeah. It truly and is.
1: Exactly. And yet we are just ugh, overcomplicating it. But also we're just we're devaluing it because mm. it's become yeah. oh, well, you know, this is trendy, so do it this way and you know, eat this way to look a certain mm. way instead of the the stuff that actually counts. Like you will live longer and you will be happier mm. and you will be a more fun, better functioning human being who can make a difference in the world if you eat better. Who cares whether you've got a freaking thigh gap or not? Like, literally get yeah. over it. Yeah.
2: Yes, yeah. And, and I think that the other tricky thing with food is there's food and there's food. And, you know, we talked a bit earlier about food-like substances. And one of the things you were saying, Katie, about going to the farmer's markets and connecting with the growers of your food, knowing where it comes from, you know, there there is mass-produced food that is basically valued on yield rather than nutrient density. Um, something I'd love to see in the future, and and I think reward farmers who are looking at doing the you know the best, making the best choices in the production of food is to actually have food sold on nutrient density. You know, let's start That'll measuring the nutrient content of our food and give that a real value yeah, because it it has a real value to our health and well-being.
1: Yeah, definitely. Jess and I want to make, you know, we want this month on, you know, through our channels and, and, you know, our little voices, which, you know, may not be overly loud in this industry, but we're doing our best. We really want to try to draw this awareness to, you know, supporting local and connecting with food. So just before we finish up, Greg, do you have any tips for Jess and I to you know what what can we do in our daily lives to you know maybe feed back to the source better and therefore try to inspire other people to yeah. do the same?
2: Well it's I guess it's a real conscious effort isn't it? Like it's it's easier to be distracted by whatever our life is throwing at us and and we only really notice what impacts us directly but it's just having that vision to look a little bit further ahead and to, to give conscious thought towards where to for the future if we don't look after local right now. Mm. You know, we, we are facing a situation in Australia where even if our farmers don't go broke, they will finish up selling to overseas markets because the people of Australia are not valuing what we're producing for them.
1: So should we be shopping at local farmers markets because obviously we're in the city unfortunately we can't we can't drive to the Stanthorpe Apple farm but does it help if we are because I mean I, I genuinely want to know I'm rocking up at the Rockley markets every every week um, buying from stands where I know they've come directly from the producers is that is that wise is that the sort of thing we should be promoting?
2: It, it's a tricky one isn't it because convenience. Plays a big role in our choices, and you know what? What do we perceive we can fit into our life? Um, Put that
1: aside, you know. Like that, the focus for this month is: what can we do? Basically, yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, um, Again, it's a tricky one. When when I'm talking about for real milk, we have tried to sell milk at markets, and it's just not something that sells well at markets. So So it's it's a big, heavy, bulky thing that we have to send to the retailer. Yeah. So oh, look I I think that I think that when it comes to food supporting local supporting seasonal fresh you know we've been tricked into buying a lot of our fruit and veg out of season it's been in cold storage it's devoid of nutrient and flavor and at the end of the day that's not beneficial for our health so you know making that connection with growers of food look I think that's a, a great thing and I I know that a lot of people are starting to look at doing that. Yeah. You and develop a direct personal relationship and you have a level of trust yeah. with what's happening.
1: And obviously, like, at the same token, you know, looking out for, you know, your products in um, in in the IGA's and whatnot where we can and, um, you know, even, like, supporting your local butcher as opposed to buying your meat from the supermarket. I always think that that's got to be a much better choice.
2: Absolutely. You know, I think... For myself, I, don't, I tend not to get to farmer's markets and that just doesn't fit with my program, with my life. But, yeah. um, but you know, I definitely am seeing more and more people will go to a fruiterer or a butcher or a bakery and they might still go to their supermarket to get whatever else they can't get. Yeah, sure. You know, I, I think the, the bread issue is a very big one. I agree with what you said earlier about the gluten situation. I think a lot of that is coming back to the processing damage we're inflicting on our grains. And I think that what we see happening with the additives and preservatives, because, you know, nobody wants bread going stale in two days, that makes it harder for food processors and retailers to make money. Yeah. But, you know, fresh bread, sourdough bread, go to the bakery. Mm-hmm. Put it in the freezer. Just get two slices out as you need to if if you want to eat bread.
0: Yeah, it's not that difficult. Mm. It just comes down to those decisions, doesn't it, Mm. and what you value. Mm. But I think um, one way for our listeners to sort of look at it and taking away from this podcast is just to know that these farmers and everything like that, that's their income, just as how they go to work every single day. Um, This is what you guys do. And just to sort of, I don't know, I guess that's what helps me is that I know that... That's how you, you know, sustain your lifestyle. So, and that's important just as much as my employer to pay me. Um, So buying, you know, those sorts of things helps in that way, I guess.
1: Yeah. And we can put a face to the four real milk products as opposed to a very large company that, you know, may source milk from anywhere it can get it, whoever's selling it the cheapest, and then probably add things to it to make sure it tastes the same as it always does and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I think just from an extension of the work of the farmer and, you know, myself being very conscious of eating animal products as well as plant-based food, like, I, I like to refer to myself as half vegan because I kind of do eat half of my food plant-based.
0: Yeah,
1: and look, we should all. We yeah. should all build from That's a plant-based diet. Right. So yeah,
2: vegetable yeah, But when it comes to animal products, like, I strongly believe that the end product you eat will be a result of the health and well-being of the animal that produced it that's
0: true
1: absolutely Yeah. yeah yeah absolutely
2: so it's it's critical that we take good care of our animals on farm the end product is going to benefit and so will your health
1: yeah well that's a really great note greg for us to wrap up we're out of time for this fortnight unfortunately but jess is just going to come back to our five key principles here at the nourished wrap
0: Yep, so we just want to remind everyone of our five values here which are um, eat whole foods most of the time, move in an enjoyable way every day, um, switch off every day for at least five minutes just to get some time out, really try to focus on getting some good sleep in and um, finally always listen to your own body.
1: Thank you so much, Farmer Greggy, for joining us. So to find awesome. Farmer Gregg, you can follow his social media channels, Instagram, Facebook for Real Milk. You can look out for the labels in your local IGA and your supermarket. And remember, you can touch base with Jess and I through our social media channels and thebalancednutritionist.com.au, Jessica Cheney Nutrition on Facebook. Thanks again, guys. Any comments or questions, please leave them for us and have a great fortnight. Bye.
2: Great chat. Thanks, ladies.